Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. This week, we're showcasing green tech developed right here in Boston that's creating a cleaner, more renewable future from the Commonwealth to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. In areas of the world like Central America and Sub-Saharan Africa, internet access, phone chargers, and even clean water are hard to come by. Right Grid and PV Pure, two Boston-based startups, are working to change that. The firms are also part of a bigger tech industry trend that looks at emerging markets as a hot bed of innovation combined with humanitarian efforts. Here to speak about their technology for emerging markets, Ryan Wright, founder and CEO of RightGrid, a startup providing high-speed internet and phone charging stations in remote locations. Hello, Ryan. Hi, pleasure to be here. I'm so glad to have you. And also with me, Hada Elasad, co-founder and chief scientist of PV Pure, a startup creating on-site solar-powered water purification and grid systems for villages and small towns. Welcome, Hada. Hi, everyone. Let's start by saying you two, even though you're doing very different things, have a few common factors going on together. Both of you are operating with the sun, and you're both really focused on emerging markets. So let's begin by talking to people about what emerging markets are. When you think about the U.S., we are not an emerging market. We are a developed country. We're a first world. So when you say emerging markets, what do we mean, Ryan? So when we're talking emerging markets in the context of right grid, we're looking at areas where grid access is limited or non-existent altogether. A lot of the common infrastructure that we're accustomed to in the United States just isn't there. So from that power to um, clean water to a variety of different things that we take for granted, that infrastructure just simply isn't in place. And so we're, we're focused on areas where we can help provide some of that infrastructure in new and creative ways. And how would you describe it, Hutta? Pretty much the same exact way. You know, an emerging market to us is pretty much a market that has a deficiency, which unfortunately is a very basic necessity deficiency, such as clean water or power. But it also offers some opportunity. And that's because people are ready and willing to adopt new technology. And that makes it easy for us to come in and try to deploy there. So, Hutta, well, first describe your product. So you're PV Pure. So let's describe the product and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so we are a, this is going to be a long sentence, (laughs) a smart solar-powered water purification system. And essentially what we do is we design and deploy water purification systems that are essentially autonomous. And what that allows us to do is allow non-expert users to operate and maintain the system. And that essentially makes our end market huge and Unfortunately, the people that need the water the most are are not technical experts. So what we're trying to do is to simplify or create smart enough technology that we can put the technology in the hands of those that actually need it. I want you to put in context just how important the work that you're doing, because water for most of the world is really an issue. We take it for granted here in this country, but it's a huge issue in the rest of the world. Absolutely. And PV Pure is really quite charged and also embarrassed that it's 2017 and so many people in the world lack clean water. And that's why we're taking technology that exists and we're putting it together in a smarter, more efficient and robust way and putting the solution out there today. So we don't want to spend too much time in the lab trying to develop something new and novel when people have been purifying water for millennials. So it's really important for us to address the problem today. So when I think of water purification, 
I think about somebody going camping. They take that little tablet, they drop it in the water. There you go. What are you doing? What does it look like? What does your PV Pure look like on the ground? So if you can imagine a phone booth, that's kind of a, a good benchmark as far as the scale of our systems. That would serve a small village of about 500 people. So it's a little bit clunkier than just a, a tablet. It's a real piece of hardware, but it's smart design. So we're really trying to limit overcapacity and over design. So it's as small as it can be for a small water plant. And it can serve on average. Our systems, they're scalable, so we can actually build systems that are anywhere from 250 liters per day to about 25,000 liters per day. Ryan, let me move over to you. This sure. is Ryan Wright of Wright Grid. Oh, and I should say that was Huda Elisad, co-founder and chief scientist of PV Pure. So, Ryan, you guys are using the sun in a different way, and this certainly will get right to the heart of many Americans who are gripped onto their cell phones and always looking for ways to charge it. So describe your product. We make a solar-powered cell phone charging station and Wi-Fi hotspot that we're deploying out into uh, sub-Saharan Africa to begin with. So with a single solar panel, we're able to charge 10 uh, cellular devices simultaneously. Uh, We have secure lock boxes built into our kiosks for safe storage while the phones are charging. And then our Wi-Fi hotspot enables high-speed internet access in off-grid and grid locations with limited access. So we're providing these as a means to allow people to get power where they need it most. Uh, In this case, the cell phone is their primary form of communication. They don't have landlines. They don't have tablets. They don't have computers. But just about everybody has a phone, and increasingly it's a smartphone, and it's the way that they communicate, that they conduct commerce. And so the phone, in many ways, in these emerging markets is just as critical to them as it is to us, and in some cases even more so. And so we're providing that smart off-grid power system with just enough power to provide the power for the devices as well as the Internet access piece. So a couple things to emphasize. First of all, in Africa, they sort of skipped over a whole bunch of lead-up technologies to get to the cell phone. While we were sort of working our way up Mm -hmm. the ladder, that's all there. There's mobile everywhere in Africa now. Exactly, Mm -hmm. yeah. So the adoption of beginning with feature phones, you know, the non-smartphone devices uh, took off like crazy. And over the past three to five years now, smartphone adoption is really picking up. And it's within the next two years, the majority of phones in sub-Saharan Africa, at least, will be smartphone devices. And so we're focused now more than ever on providing battery power because a feature phone, if you remember, those phones you can get, you know, off a single charge several days of battery life. And now a smartphone, you're lucky if you make it through a day or two without a charge. And so we're really focused on providing power uh, for those type of applications. And I think to the point about leapfrogging, they leapfrog in terms of the adoption of right immediately to cell phones. But also, um, as we look to grid infrastructure, you know, in the U.S. and in the developed world, we have very centralized grid systems for power, where you have a big power plant, expensive utility lines that bring that power to where it's needed. And that's not necessarily the case in emerging markets where they just don't have the resources to support that kind of development. And so point-of-use power is becoming more and more widely adopted for specific applications like water purification like Hood is doing or power for phone charging or internet like we're doing at RightGrid. So describe what your system looks like and what it looks like in an emerging market. Our system is a standalone kiosk with a solar panel on the top. So the whole system stands about seven feet tall. It's got a 150 to 200 watt solar panel that sits on top. So that's about a three foot by three foot solar panel. And then a kiosk similar to um, the size of like a red box, 
if you're familiar with the DVD rental service, it's about that size. And we have 10 individual lockers with resettable locker combinations. So the user can program a locker. Uh, we have universal charge adapters inside. They plug in their phone, they lock it up, and then they can come back to retrieve it once it's had a chance to charge. And the Wi-Fi is integrated directly into the system. So uh, if you're within 300 feet of the system, you can pick up a, a Wi-Fi signal through our stations. The thing to also emphasize in this is that when we think about cell phone charging and receptivity and connectivity in the United States, we're mad if our 4G goes down. Right. So in Africa, in these emerging markets, they're lucky to get a good solid 2G on any given day, yeah. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the places, so we're in Kinshasa, the capital of the Democratic Republic of Congo, and even in the capital, the best you can hope for is a 3G signal, and that's very rare. Typically, it's a, a 2G signal that you're picking up. And so when we first went over there, it was a challenge because we wanted to create these hotspots that were cellular enabled, and we've since had to shift technologies. So now we're using a microwave technology that allows for up to 60 megabytes per second transfer speed at our station. So my home, for instance, in, uh, in Andover, Massachusetts, I have 25 megabytes per second transfer speed. So it gives you some sense of the speed that we're able to pass through in these you know, remote locations, which enables up to streaming video and digital downloads and things like that. So, yeah, that we yeah. need to, because the, the lack of point of having 2G is that you can't really do much with it the, right. of, of the kind of things we want to do. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk to you both, and you can start, Ryan. Sure. How much does this cost? Because mm-hmm. it does no good to sort of have a really expensive thing going right. to an emerging market, because then it costs a lot, and right. you can't have very many. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's the, you know... Our systems are an expensive piece of capital equipment that if a user were to purchase, there would just be no way for them to afford. So our business model is really focused on distributing through strategic partners in regions where they purchase the units directly from us and then they offer the services to the end user at an affordable rate. So for instance, in the DRC, we charge 250 Congolese francs to charge your phone. And that's the equivalent of about 18 cents US. Mm. And so for each charge, it's 18 cents. And then for the Wi-Fi, we allow unlimited Wi-Fi for a dollar a day. So you get 24 hours of internet access for $1, which is a fraction of what they're paying today for cellular data that is a fraction of the transfer speeds. That's Ryan Wright of Wright Grid, and his company is a startup that provides high-speed internet and phone charging stations in remote locations. Back to you, Huda. So with PV Pure, how much does that cost to locate and get it up and running in, in the places that you're going? So there's no one answer, but the way that we price our systems are very, very highly dependent on a couple of different factors. One is the actual climate in the area. If you're in a more remote area that is a lot cloudier, you're going to need more panels. Because it's solar power, just to to emphasize. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, working in, in one village and then working 10 miles away might have a completely different solar availability profile. Um, The other factor is the demand. So because we're a scalable system, you know, a village that is about 500 people versus 5,000 people will also have a, a different price tag. And the third factor is the actual water source. So because we are a platform technology, we're actually not limited to purifying one type of water. We can do anything from rainwater, running fresh water, groundwater, as well as seawater. And price increases as we go down that spectrum of water quality. So there is no one price, but sort of similar to what Ryan was saying is that no individual in a developing market can pay upfront 
for the capital cost of this system. So that's when being creative with your business plan becomes essential, especially in these emerging markets. And, you know, when we first started figuring out, well, how are we really going to get anyone to pay for these and and deploy these things, what we found is that there are a lot of well-meaning, philanthropic humanitarian organizations that have money that are willing to pay full commercial prices for these systems and to deploy them on behalf of people on the ground. One thing that we really want to emphasize is that we don't want to rely on handouts per Mm -hmm. se, but what this allows is for that village to get their hands on the system and then eventually own it as soon as they start producing the water and selling the water to each other. So they're generating this income that will eventually pay back the system and allow them to sustain the system as far as replacement parts and maintenance, et cetera. You know, I don't think I ask you, and I think it's important because I did make the point that water is a is a huge deal or lack of in most parts of the world. But in places where you're going in Central America, how difficult is it to get water? So let's make sure that people understand the context and what this really brings, this this technology that you're bringing. So where we're most active at the current stage is in Mexico. And Mexico is the number one, last we checked, the number one consumer of bottled water per capita in the world, which is insane. Wow. Uh, And the unfortunate thing is that purchasing bottled water for many people in Mexico can be up to 25% of their income. And that's just not appropriate. That's money that could be spent on better housing, education, transportation, but they're spending it on bottled water because there's a huge lack of potable water in the area. And for the most part, people have to rely on either unpurified water, unsafe water, or spend exorbitant amounts of money that they really can't afford on purified bottled water. Wow. Uh, that's my guest, Huda el She's co-founder and chief scientist of PV Pure, a startup creating on-site solar-powered water purification and grid systems for villages and small towns. Also with me is Ryan Wright, founder and CEO of Wright Grid. It's also a startup providing high-speed internet and phone charging stations in remote locations. And if you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, and I'm Callie Crossley. So let me ask this. Well, first... I want to tell my listeners that we just didn't pick two tech companies out of the air because there's a lot of you out there doing different things. But you two particularly have reached a level of visibility among your peers and others in terms of the kind of projects that you're doing and how you're working well. So, Huda, congratulations being one of four cool companies. I read that you were named that by this uh, Fortune group. Talk about that and what does that do for your company in terms of bringing possibly more support and visibility? Yeah, so we didn't think we were cool at all. So getting that title (laughs) was really cool for us. (laughs) It was such a great event. And we were actually there with another member of Greentown Labs, where Ryan and I are both member companies. And that was Grove Labs that was with me in San Diego for the Fortune Conference. And, you know, Ryan and I were actually just talking about, you know, media and visibility and, and then how, you know, it just kind of creeps up on you. You know, you've got your head down and you're just trying to survive. And then all of a sudden you hit a point where people actually start to take notice and think, well, hey, you know, this is actually pretty cool. Or how can I help? Which is a, a really important question that people have been asking us. And one of the things that help is getting that visibility. It opens up a lot of doors for us as far as partnerships and potential funding 
So it, it was a great experience out there, and we're really, really excited about getting further into the public eye and, and really trying to reach people because when people hear what we're doing and they want to help, then we can help other people more effectively. And also, in terms of the funding, we should note that if you're a startup with a product that mostly focuses in a developed world, you're going to get maybe more attention from venture capital firms. That's often not the case if you're going to emerging markets. So that may be changing as folks realize how big those markets are. But in this moment, you're sort of looking for funding and you can't compete with some of the other ones that may be focused here in this country. Now, as for you, Ryan, right, of uh, Right Grid, you're one of the seven national finalists representing the Northeast in something called the Hardware Cup Pitch. Yes. This is coming up in Pittsburgh. And mm-hmm. if you win it, you get $50,000 and, again, much needed visibility. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, back in March, we uh, we won the, the regionals. And so we're headed to Pittsburgh for the international finals. So it's six or seven regional finalists for the U.S. and then five international finalists from uh, Japan, Israel, and a couple other uh, international um, uh, locations. So it's a great opportunity for us. There's uh, some potential award money in the form of investment from a Pittsburgh-based VC, which is hugely helpful for us. But again, it, the 50000 of an possible investment pales in comparison to the exposure that we get. So by being a part of this, we get to meet with some strategic partners down in Pittsburgh. We get some introductions to other VCs that are based in the Pittsburgh area. That's a community that we don't have strong ties to right now. And so it gets our name out there. And for us, that's a really important piece of this because to Huda's point, we're heads down, you know, working on the product, working on the technology, working on the partnerships. And at times it can be, you know, a challenge to remember, oh, you know, we've, we also need to be doing outreach. We need to get the word out there. And so these types of events are a great way to continue to build momentum and not take your eye too far off the ball of kind of the everyday operations. I'd love to get from each of you what excites you about doing this work. Obviously, you have the brains to go in any direction, and you chose very specific directions with very specific needs, really creating paths where there are no paths, Mm -hmm. quite frankly. And I know that part has to be a little bit exciting, but other than that, what gets you going, Huda? So for myself, and I think for, for most of the team, the real motivation, the thing that gets us up in the morning is knowing that at one point in the near future, we're going to be there when community members can turn the tap and finally have clean water. And it's theirs. And it's safe. And it's clean. And it's something that they can be proud of because they now own a system that is going to provide for their children and for future generations. So just that moment of just turning the tap and seeing that water run, like that means everything to us. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, along the similar lines in terms of it's it's the impact piece. So there are a lot of different businesses that, you know, we could have tried to develop and been focused on the U.S. and gone more a traditional route. But there's just such huge opportunities for improving the world beyond our borders and people dealing with problems that are, we're not just trying to get people power so that they can check you know, their social media feed. We're trying to get them power so that they can access their homework or communicate with loved ones. And and so that piece of this is what's important for us is that the impact that we can have in a marketplace that desperately needs it, that doesn't necessarily have the same resources that we have here at home. 
and with creative solutions and creative business models and creative products going from the U.S. to an emerging market, while it can be more challenging, certainly for the reasons that you've highlighted around fundraising and partnerships and things of that nature, I think the overall reward and the overall impact can be much greater. And so that's really what drives our team. Everybody on our team has that desire to make the world a better place in some way. And so with all of the things we could be doing, this was the one that jumped out to us to say, hey, let's attack this and let's see if we can you know, leave our mark, at least from a power perspective on the world. Listening to both of you and appreciating both of your products, I can't help but think that a lot of this technology really ought to be here in the United States because we have some serious issues. First of all, Ryan, we need to be off the grid. How many grid issues have we had that I can recall in the last few years? And it's not been pretty. Then we realize how vulnerable we are to being on that grid. And then to you, Huda, I'm thinking about Flint, Michigan. And, you know, here are people that have had to be on bottled water for, if they were lucky to get it, for God knows the last two years because of bad decisions made by local politicians. And now having just been told after, what, three years of this, that the pipes will be built maybe in five years, the clean pipes, there are very real issues that are in existence right here that I think how modern both of your products are and your approach to the problems are. Do you all think about that as you're moving forward? I mean, it's not to say that where you're going is not much more needy. It's just interesting that, you know, we haven't addressed in a creative way in this country some of the issues that you're addressing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think, you know, Mm -hmm. from the power perspective in the U.S., certainly companies like Tesla and SolarCity and some of these companies that are looking to push more towards powering your home independent of the grid potentially. You know, in the short term, it's homes with solar panels that are tied into the grid. But eventually, if you're able to provide your own power and even filter your own water, you don't necessarily have to be attached to this huge grid system where there's vulnerability issues, especially when we talk to like urban planners around resiliency things like big power plants becoming targets of terrorism in the future. Those exactly. are those are big issues. Mm-hmm. And I think it really behooves us to start to think about how do we make our grid more resilient? And part of that is decentralizing components of it so that we don't have these single points of failure that can knock down, you know, the entire eastern seaboard or, or the whole west coast in one fell swoop. And I was I mentioned Flint, but actually people have said there's probably some more Flints we just don't know about yet to that ex- the same extent here in this country. So so how do you think about that when you look at a situation like Flint and think, you know, there's technology that we could be moving toward here and we haven't. And we have the resources to do it. Absolutely. And you know, when the Flint incident happened, the first thing that came into our mind was like, oh, you know, PV Pure would be perfect for this and we really saw a huge potential for our technology to go in and help people here in our backyard. Unfortunately, we're, we're not in the domestic market yet because there are a lot of different barriers to entering this market. All legal, I'm sure. A lot of legal, <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there is mm-hmm. um, there are certain barriers in place that are good to be in place, you know, as far as, you know, water standards and, you know, making sure that, you know, all the stakeholders from the municipality to the actual communities are, are involved in, in the testing of their water and certifying their water. But it's just nothing that we've had the bandwidth to address yet. And where we started working in Mexico, we got down there with sponsorship from the Kellogg Foundation to do our first pilot there, and it just took off. And mm. we realized that Mexico was a perfect place to pilot this technology that we hope to eventually bring home. But for right now, we're, our focus is on Mexico. 
What do you think about, and I, I guess I think that there's so much impact that politics has in those emerging markets. Are you at all concerned about shifting political stances from the United States with regard to humanitarian aid or support for companies that might be looking outwardly? Or are you pretty okay? You don't have to be concerned about that right now, at least in the moment. Is that a concern about for either of you? Well, I think for RightGrid, and I think Huda spoke to this earlier, in terms of not the idea of handouts and kind of um, nonprofit work, we're really focused on a for-profit business where we can partner with for-profit corporations versus partnering with a government group or some type of relief group just because of the nature of, of politics, how that feeds into it, how funding can be, you know, cut and you're kind of left high and dry. So we've tried to position ourselves at least in a position where we don't have to be reliant on those types of partners and that the business model and the unit economics behind the business model will really drive it to success in these markets. You know, the more you can shield yourself from the politics, the more successful you'll be in the future. And, you know, what we found in Mexico and and some other work in the Caribbean and in Central America is that the political situations are just so wildly different there and trying to learn an entire you know new market and the politics behind it is is really challenging and overwhelming so it's a lot easier to just go back to kind of the unit economics as far as what can we sell today to someone that's ready to adopt it and how can it grow from that all right last words from both of you uh Hada, what might you say to people listening to this really interesting approach to emerging markets I would say thank you for listening and thank you for also acknowledging that this is a problem that's real and something needs to get done. And, you know, whether it's PV Pure or other technology, you know, it's something that the whole world just needs to really wake up and see that this is our problem. It's not just a foreign problem. It's here in our backyard and it's really time to just take charge and try to solve it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would echo those sentiments. And just, uh, you know, I think for a lot of what we're doing, it's that visibility piece. And so having an audience like the audience listening uh, to this is incredibly important. And so we just ask that, you know, spreading the word and, and continuing the dialogue and the conversation is, is a very critical uh, component to gaining traction with, with these types of creative ideas in emerging markets. Well, congratulations to both of you. Local innovation going global. You're doing it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Ryan Wright is the founder and CEO of WrightGrid, and Huda El-Assad is the co-founder and chief scientist of PV Pure. Well, that's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show and links to stories we discussed today on the web at news.wgbh.org slash UTR. Listen to our show on the WGBH app and take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please write to us at undertheradar at wgbh.org. Our engineer is Doug Sugarts. Andrea Aswahe is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH. Thank you.